I want to begin with a little Hebrew class. All right. Does that not pump you up? Uh, there is a word in Hebrew that uh, sadly we're not familiar enough with. And that word is chesed. Now, you can say it chesed, but if you kind of really get into it, you got to growl a little bit. Chesed. And in fact, would you say it with me? One, two, three, chesed. Yeah. We're not very familiar with that word. Uh, chesed is covenant love. Chesed is kind. It is loyal. It is lavish. And I love this word associated with chesed. It is relentless. And also with this word chesed in the Hebrew is this sense of it is covenant sustaining. It is really the thing that sustains on through and carries on through regardless of emotion, regardless of situation. It is the core of any kind of real covenant relationship. Numbers 14, 18 says, the Lord is slow in anger and abounding in chesed. Uh, Psalm 63 Three says, because your chesed is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's why we were just singing what we were just singing. And one more, Lamentations 3.22. The chesed of the Lord never ceases. His compassions, his Roma never fails. Chesed. The Lord lives chesed. We could really say the Lord is Hesed. The Hesed is the Lord. But we struggle to be Hesed people. Why is that? Well, we're short attention span people. We have a pretty short attention span. We kind of are performance based people. We're get ahead in life people. As someone just recently said, you know, I just wonder if we're all actually moving kind of into an Eastern uh, uh, shame based culture as well. I'll say this, in all of those, chesed doesn't do very well. Because chesed is deep, it is lasting, it is long, it can be really hard. It's not short attention. It's long run. Our triune God gets chesed. And we're going to dive into some chesed this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm actually going to do 9 and 10 today, and I think you'll see why here in just a moment. It's because of chesed. If you take a micro lens, uh, which we'll do here for a good part of our morning, and then we'll switch to a macro lens, but uh, with those two ideas, micro lens kind of in on the text, in on chapters 9, in on chapter 10. When you take a micro lens, you take a look at these two chapters, and I think they are two portraits of chesed. Uh, one is Hesed received, the other is Hesed rejected. Uh, put on kind of the macro lens, which we will do towards the end here this morning, and we see outside of just chapters 9 and 10, we see kind of the whole picture and the whole movement, I think, of the storyline of what's taking place. And chapters 9 and 10 kind of end the, I'll call it the blessed days of David. Uh, look at chapter 11, things go dark. In fact, really chapter 11 through the rest of Sam, 2 Samuel 
It's pretty dark. It's a lot of adversity, a lot of adversity that is brought on by David himself, uh, some of it not brought on by David, and yet the Lord is the Lord of Chesed, and the story is really about God's Chesed continuing with David because, friends, David is a broken man just like you and I are broken individuals. And one of the wonderful things about studying these texts is we get to be reminded that God Chesed's himself even when we don't. Well, let's begin by taking a peek at these two. Let's kind of come back in, micro lens on chapters 9 and 10. I want to show you why I'm pulling these two together. Now, let me read verse 1 out of chapter 9. It says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Remember, Saul has died. Jonathan died. Uh, uh, that I may show kindness. That's the word in the Hebrew. It's that I may show chesed for Jonathan's sake. What's happening here is David is going back to 1 Samuel 20. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, David made a chesed covenant with Jonathan. And that chesed covenant was actually that Jonathan would show him chesed in the days to come. And Jonathan says, I'll be that. By the way, friends, it is a reminder that walking with the Lord is not an individual sport. Walking with the Lord is always a team sport together. And that's really what was going on there in that. And Jonathan's like, I'm in on that, David. And, and Jonathan replies, David, will, will you enter into a, a showing chesed with me and my family a relationship? And, and he's like, I'm in, bro, I'm in. And this is a, that is a story about two brothers, if you would say it in modern day terms, two brothers in Christ seeking to love Christ and love others. We're doing it together, man. All right? And here we come all the way into 2 Samuel chapter 9. Jonathan is dead. He is no longer living. And David is asking the question, hey, is there one, anyone left in Saul's family in the air line of it that I could chesed them? Man, I'm telling you, in a disposable world, that is a word. Go to chapter 10. Verses 1 and 2, after this, the king of the Ammonites died, and uh, Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And, and David said, I will deal chesed with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt chesed, in the original language, with me. Where uh, in chapter 9, David is going back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Here in chapter uh, 10, David is going back to 1 Samuel chapter 11. Where with an Ammonite king, uh, different than with Jonathan, but there's this same kind of a, we're setting up a covenant agreement as leaders in this. That, that we're going to work together uh, and we commit to that. And it's interesting, he's asking, is there anyone remaining in Saul's line? And by the way, we're gonna find out that like chapter nine, David is asking, is there anyone I can show chesed to? And he comes along and he's gonna meet this guy who is the son of Jonathan. And then in chapter 11, is David is like, is there someone I can show chesed to? Or he's showing chesed here and uh, it's the son of 
of these, these sons of, I'm telling you, the pattern in these two chapters are amazingly similar, but one chapter ends up where Chesed is received. The second chapter, chapter 10, is Chesed is rejected. So let's dive into that, that we got that on the page. Let's dive into these two chapters. Portrait number one, Chesed received. It's David and Mephibosheth. Let me read verses one through eight. You follow along. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him Hesed for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziva, and they called him uh, to David. And the king said to him, are, are you Ziva? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him, that I may show the Hesed of God to him? And Siva said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. By the way, we met this young man a few chapters ago. And the king said to him, where is he? And, and Siva said uh, to the king, he is in the house of Meshir, the son of Amiel of Lodavar. Oh, I made it through. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Meshir, the son of all that. And verse six, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, said to David, uh, came to David, fell on his face, paid homage, and David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. I'll clarify that here in just a second. By the way, that is so reminiscent of Revelation chapter one when the apostle John sees a resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, and instead of high-fiving him, instead of chest-butting him like in a football game, God bless the Colts today, he falls face down as though he's thinking he's going to die. And the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ takes his right hand, puts it on his shoulder and says, do not fear. The resurrected, glorified, magnified son of David And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. Verse seven, and David said to him, do not fear for I will show you chesed. Why? Because you deserve it? Because you earned it? No, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of your Saul, of Saul, your father, really your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a, look at this, a dead dog such as I? Interesting, I, I think a couple pieces of information that would be helpful to us here. Uh, one is that in Near Eastern, or in ancient Near East days, uh, when a new dynasty would come in, which is just what's been happening, uh, the David has come in and the family of David is really becoming the new dynasty. Saul, King Saul has died, that is being replaced. And in ancient times, what would happen is the family dynasty that would come in would literally obliterate, would wipe out, eliminate, i.e., kill the entire family dynasty. That was the norm. That, that's just how it happened. And, and so uh, Mephibosheth here, he also would understand even from his uncle, uh, his father's brother, uh, Ishbosheth, that we had uh, met in a prior chapter with Abner, that when he was killed, hey, listen, I'm just telling you, uh, Mephibosheth understands that when David says, hey, would you come and uh, uh, meet before me? He's thinking, I'm out. It's time to be executed. That's just how it works. That's just how it works. And so that's when he comes before, and David here, even in, in my text, it has Mephibosheth with an exclamation mark. 
It kind of helps us understand. It's like, not like, to the dungeon you go. He's actually excited that there is one remaining heir that David can show chesed to. Man, that tells us so much about David himself. David isn't obligated to do this. He's like, oh, I got to like be kind to someone. David's looking for, is there anyone left in the family of Saul that I can carry out this Hesed covenant that I committed to Jonathan years ago? Is there anyone there? Oh, good, there's this guy, Mephibosheth. I get to Hesed on you. And then Mephibosheth, he's thinking, I'm coming to be executed. And David on top of this says, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. David knew exactly how this all plays out. And by the way, David is just trying to love on the guy and help him understand. And then you get down to the end of verse eight. And Mephibosheth was like, ah, are you kidding me? I'm like a dead dog. Verse nine, then the king called Ziva, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, that's Mephibosheth, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce, and your master's grandson may have bread to eat. In other words, Siva and his family and his servants are going to be working for Mephibosheth because the, what he is giving to Mephibosheth is a lot of land and a lot of stuff. And Mephibosheth, your, grand, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziva had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziva said to the king, David, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziva's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Stated twice, making sure we know that. And then the last sentence is fascinating. Now he was lame in both his feet. I'm not going to go into the background on Mephibosheth beyond what I've already done here. You can go back on that. But uh, part of what's going on is, is when you think about this whole chapter 9, when you go, what are two words that could summarize this whole chapter 9 that it's picturing for us? Um, 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 the gospel. That's what we see here in chapter 9. I mean, what Mephibosheth is receiving here is in no way because of himself. It is utterly undeserved. And the fact is, is that Mephibosheth is in serious trouble, uh, go with me here, because of his heritage status. And Mephibosheth in himself is utterly unable to render help or assistance to David. Like, what is Mephibosheth going to bring to the table for David? Sorry, but nothing. I mean, the fact of the matter is, even in that day, he's crippled in his feet. He really can't even do any work for David. This dude is utterly unable to provide the king anything from himself. 
He is bankrupt, void. And yet David is the one member of this relationship that is in a position to render help and aid. Oh, by the way, he is also in a position to render death. Rightfully so. Friends, the gospel is all over this. Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all, born with it. Born with the inheritance of sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Romans 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. Just in case you're starting to think, you know, but I'm actually pretty good. No, you're not. I love you enough to be true about it. Because if you think you're too hot for yourself, you're in trouble. Because there is one day where all of us will stand before the one we just sang about. And there's no games there. And that king is wholly set apart and sin cannot make its way past that. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, and you are dead in your sins upon sins. You are a child of the prince of the power of the air, i.e. Satan. Doomed. Verse four, two words, but God, but God, rich in mercy. Oh, maybe I could say it this way, but God, rich in chesed. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is really the chesed of God that makes it all possible. And oh, by the way, how interesting it is in Ephesians chapter two, within the context of that text, it says, and you are seated with Christ at the table, at the king's cool rocking table. Not like in the backyard. At the table. And I just go, who would not want to receive that? And yet what does it take to receive that? It takes the understanding of who we really are before a perfect, holy, righteous God and how far we fall short might I say, we are dead dogs. Chesed. Has there been a time in your life where you've come to understand that, coming out of the text here, go with me, that you are in a dead dog situation, crippled by inheritance, void, of anything before a holy, awesome, righteous, big, perfect God. Yeah, but God, I got some questions for you. Like, why did you, like, uh, hey, listen, I'm just gonna tell you, it's gonna be like John in Revelation chapter one. All of those will be face down ASAP. And the one who is chesed, who lives chesed, 
As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Has there been a time where you've driven the stake in the ground and you've received the said of Christ? If not, today's the day, man. Get with someone, face down. Chesed received. Chapter 10, Chesed rejected. David in Hanun. Chapter 9 is reflecting back on what took place in 1 Samuel 20. Chapter 10 is reflecting back on what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 11 with the Ammonite king. Let me read verses 1 through 5 and then I'll summarize the rest. Verse 1, chapter 10. After this, the king of the Ammonites died. And Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally. Uh, David said, I will deal chesed, is the original text. I will deal chesed with Hanun, the son of Nahash, uh, his father, uh, 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 Hanun's father who died, as his father dealt chesed with me. So David uh, sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. This is just a kind thing to do. By the way, this is what good, kind leaders should do. I mean, the Ammonites are a neighboring nation, and so they hear of this. David knew the king, the father Nahash. He died, and he's selling a contingency of some of his own men to go and to pay due respect and condolences to Hanun, the son whose father just passed away. Any good leader would do that, should do that. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites, but the princes of the Ammonites, those under Hanun, said to Hanun, their Lord, do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off uh, half the beard of each. That was a big deal to any Jewish man in that day and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. Okay, I'm not gonna get too graphic on this, but here's what that means. They would go and so they'd have a beard, they'd cut off uh, half the beard, so half's hanging down, the other half is not, a humiliation for a Jewish man. And then what they would do with their garment, kind of like a robe that they would have, they would, uh, just follow me, they would cut out at the hip. So their buttocks is showing. And send them out. Half beard, behind out. Utter humiliation. Utter humiliation. And and that was the intent. And they were coming to give their condolences. Verse five, when it was told David, he sent to meet them. In other words, his men who had been humiliated for the men were greatly ashamed. And David, the king said, remain in Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. By the way, may I just say how kind of David. David isn't like, okay, load it up. We're going to war. David's actually like taking a moment to think about, oh my word, the guys that I sent on my behalf to show condolences have been utterly humiliated. I'm not, I'm just going to tell them, listen, don't even come home yet. I'm going to just stay in Jericho. You wait there, let your beards grow out. So it's not an embarrassment. Listen, we can take care of the behind thing, but the beard thing is going to take some time. And so for months they're there. And out of that, David is just being kind. 
in thinking of them. And so from there, the Ammonites, they want to go to war with David. Uh, So they hire the Aramean mercenaries. Uh, This sounds like Jason Bornish. Uh, They literally, uh, the the Arameans were north of the Ammonites and they were allies together. So they hire a a whole boatload of all of these mercenaries and pay them to come down and, and, and be in their battles. Likely, they were better warriors than the Ammonites were. So they get them to come down. Uh, David sends Joab, we had met Joab in chapters three and four, along with the best of the Israelite forces. There's a battle. Uh, The battle, uh, the Ammonites and the Arameans, they kind of come in and they they cause this uh, slight, they kind of split and cause this division going on in the setup of it all and confuses Joab. Joab uh, brings Avishai. We had met him earlier in an earlier chapter, Joab's brother. And so they're there. Joab gives this crazy cool word of encouragement. It's almost like in chapter one with Joshua, you know, be strong and courageous. It's this warrior charge to them. And, and uh, they go, they line up, they're ready to go to war. <laughs> the Arameans take a look at it all. And it's like, I, I don't know how this exactly worked out, but maybe it's something like this. We got our cash, let's run. And that's what they did. The Arameans run and the Ammonites are like, ah, they run. Battle one. Uh, Then we come to battle two. The Syrians, uh, they see this defeat. They're aware of it. They gather together because they're concerned to protect the fate of Syria-Palestine in light of David's victory there. David learns of what's going on. David actually enters and leads a a force uh, uh, against them in this. We come to the end of chapter 10 and David and his men, they take out some 7,000, I'm sorry, some 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen. This was no small battle. And then you come to verse 19, end of chapter 10, let me read it. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezar, these names, saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made shalom with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Interesting. Chesed received, and then Chesed rejected. Two portraits. Micro lens, I think, taking a, a tight look on these two chapters, and there is something we can learn from this. Friends, we live in a disposable world. We live in a microwave-loving world. Um, We live in a pre-manufactured world. We live in a individual worshiping world. It's all about me. Add to the fact that we are a performance-based, get ahead, maybe even becoming shame-based culture. Chesed does not fit into that. But when Chesed is lived, it shines in that world. It is utterly unlike. And I read a text like this, and I am concerned by how we define love by culture over 
scripture. We can love our dog. We can love a fish. We can love a tree. And we can love people. And oftentimes, we can love them all in the exact same kind of way, which is sad. And yet there is a hesed that is going on in Scripture, through Scripture, because our God is a hesed God. Our God is not disposable. He doesn't live in that. Our God doesn't do microwavable. Otherwise, this whole story would have been done in like 32 seconds. By the way, 33, because then you don't have to move your hand to go to the two. You just hit 33 twice. (laughs) You just learned a little bit about me in that one. A few verses about this idea of our God in Hesed. It's football season, so I'll throw out the football field goal verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved, might I say it this way? For God so chesedded the world that he gave his only begotten son. Matthew 22, Pharisees and other leaders are all full of themselves and they're arguing over what's the greatest commandment because they think they're awesome. And so they ask Jesus, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus is like, you know what? I got that one. It's this. <clears throat> Love the Lord. Chesed the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And by the way, Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He's like, because I, I, can't, I can't stop it there. Because if that is real, chesedding the Lord follows with chesedding other people. Not using people. Not using them to get what I want. But a covenant, kind, loyal, relentless, sustaining love. That's different than the love our world knows. That's different than the love that is YouTubed in front of us, Instagrammed in front of us, tweeted in front of us, Facebooked in front of us, TV'd in front of us, radioed in front of us. It is altogether different, friend. And there is a call out of this text to see love in a whole new way that is beyond the momentary. The gospel is rooted in chesed. Remove the micro lens, put the macro lens on the big picture. Genesis. Adam and Eve bite it. Genesis chapter three, the Lord is on it. He knows that's gonna take place and yet he says there's one that is gonna come that is gonna be dealt a bruising blow by Satan but is gonna deal Satan a lethal blow. God's already on it. Abram, from you I will raise a great nation, a blessed nation and a nation that gives blessing. Exodus The Lord redeems and enslaves people out of Egypt. He established them. He gives them a whole new structure on which they are to live under that is utterly unlike any other nation on the face of the world at the time. 
You could insert Deuteronomy, Leviticus in all of that structuring. Joshua, uh, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And God, in his chesed love, allows them to enter into Canaan to establish a place. It's not just a place for a vacation place for them. It's not, okay, I have a people now and I want to give you comfort and easy. No, no, no. I have a place for you that's to be a sending-based place. You are, Exodus chapter 19, you are to be priests to the world. And now in Joshua, they have that place. You would think Judges is a place where, boom, it's going to start happening and God's people are going to be like online, and not online, no, on track. They're going to be running with it. They're going to be taking the gospel, if you will, to the world of who Yahweh is and Judges is four centuries of God's people, essentially for most all of it, doing what is right in their own eyes. And wow, does that reminisce of today. He enters 1 Samuel. Samuel comes to the table. Chapter 8, God's people demand a king. God's like, you want a king like the rest of the world? Are you sure? Okay, I'll give you one. God gives them, chapter 9, a good-looking country boy, Saul. It starts out looking really good, actually. So has a lot of potential. It's exciting to see what's taking place, but then it goes down and it goes dark. Say it this way. Saul is not the ideal chesed king. Saul is not. Enter midway through 1 Samuel. Uh, I'm going to pull this boy out of the shepherd, out of the shepherd uh, with the sheep, and I'm going to uh, put him in a place. He's my kind of guy. And you would think at that time that it's like, well, surely this is the guy that, that, that God is saying there would be one who would be coming, the ideal chesed kind of king. And we track through the latter half of 1 Samuel, it's adversity after adversity after adversity, and you think this is him. And then you come to 2 Samuel, and, and David now becomes king of Judah, the southern uh, area, and then he becomes king of, uh, of Israel, uh, kingdom of Israel, the, the northern area. And it's like it's all beginning to come together. And then we come to chapters 9 and 10, and we're like, man, I'm telling you, friends, you follow this along, and it's like, maybe David's the guy. Maybe David is the Genesis 3-1. Maybe David is, in fact, the ideal Hesed king. And then you turn the page, which will be starting in two weeks from now, and we come to learn David is not the ideal Hesed king. David is broken, just like you and me. Bill Arnold says, the king was blessed and protected by God in the first portion of the book of 2 Samuel. From this point forward, however, David will be a flawed character who seems helpless to reverse the tide of sin and destruction he has unleashed on his own royal court. Don't get too hard on David. Because how you judge, you will be judged. And friend, I am broken like David and so are you. Two Sundays, we're going to enter into those dark days after next Sunday. Parents, I just want to make a note to you. October is going to be some R-rated texts. Second Samuel 11 through 19, they will be preached in a PG-13 manner. Um, it's adultery. Repentance of adultery. I'm going to have a conversation about the whole multiple wives and concubines issue. 
I'm also going to be stepping into the text where a child dies, and I'm going to talk about, so what happens biblically? What do we understand from Scripture about an infant that dies? And then there's the whole Absalom mess after that. Parents, just so you know, with your children, how, how that would work best. And in all of it, it's ultimately pointing to the ideal chesed king. Oh, by the way, which in December we will be celebrating. December, it's going to be behold the glory. Promised, prophesied, announced, arrived, presently reigning. Jesus is the ideal chesed king. And we are in need of a chesed king because friend, you and I are broken dogs. And that's not a shot at. That's actually hope out of. Do you realize you can be seated at the table with the king? If there's been a time where you've come to know Christ as your savior, dude, dudette, you're seated. If you don't know that you know that you know, oh, friend, I just got to tell you, dude, dudette, it's time to know. It's time to drive the stake and receive Christ as your savior and enter into a chesed love. You see, it's not just receiving his chesed love. It's essentially a response back of, I want to be in a chesed love with you. I'm the broken one. You're the sustaining one. But I want that. God, I pray this week as we enter into it that we would savor the fact that your love and your work and who you are is utterly above and beyond the love we see in this world. All of us know some level of a love that has been committed and carried through. A mom, a dad, a friend. And the truth of the matter is, is all of us understand in some way love betrayed. And Lord, we can get stuck in being selfish and wanting love for self or excusing our ability to pursue the love-giving reality of a hesed love because of betrayal we've experienced. Lord Jesus, you know what it is to love and be betrayed. And yet you still went to the cross. It's not about the end result. It's about the being a chesed person. So God, I pray this week, renewed minds, regenerated hearts to love like you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.